This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now, let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle. From the second chair, for the second chair. Leading Second Podcast. My name is Gina, and I'm one of the team members here at Leading Second. I'm so glad you've joined us, and I'm excited to share with you the great episode that we have in store, a conversation on Leading Second in every season. But before we jump in, we're excited to announce a fresh initiative, a new part of the Leading Second lineup, Leading Second Coaching Groups. We're launching a new, reimagined, and immersive coaching experience this fall of 2022. So applications are now open, and we're so excited for you to join us. The heart behind these groups are built around this idea. Leadership growth and development never happens by accident or automatically. We believe that leadership growth and development happens intentionally, often by placing yourself with the right people in the right environment and at the right time. So I have a question for you. One year from now, do you want to be at the same place as a leader that you are today? Most likely, the answer is no. But I have a second question for you. What are you going to do about it? Coaching groups are for executive pastors, campus pastors, or anyone who serves on your church's leadership team. This one-year coaching group experience and new team of coaches also includes an on-site retreat this winter that I promise you won't want to miss. So we're believing God is going to use these groups to sharpen executive leaders in the church. So head to our website, check out our Instagram, and consider applying. It's not going to be the same without you. Before we jump into the interview today, we have a second chair leader, Joseph Kelly, joining us to talk about the five keys to overcoming a critical spirit. Let's listen in. Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Joseph Kelly. I get the privilege to serve as the associate pastor at Discovery Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And today, I get to share the five keys to overcoming a critical spirit. Now, I know this is not a topic that we love to talk about, but I do believe that it is vital that we understand these principles as we lead from the middle. We talk a lot about having a culture of honor at our church, and one of the things that our pastor says is that if dishonor is the fruit, then a critical spirit is the root. So if we want to be honoring leaders, we must overcome a critical spirit. So let's jump in. If we want to overcome a critical spirit, number one thing we have to do is diligently guard our thoughts. The first battleground that we encounter is ourselves. A critical spirit always first begins in our mind. Every single one of us, whether we want to or not, we are faced with negative thoughts or unwanted thoughts that plague our mind every single day. Now, that's not the problem. The problem is in this question, do we allow those thoughts to stay? 
Do we allow those thoughts to take root in our mind and to begin to shape the way we believe about people, we believe about ideas, or do we do what the Bible instructs us to do and take every thought captive and diligently guard our thoughts and our mind? Number two, we must guard our desires and our ambition. James chapter 4 verse 2 says that we jealously want what others have, so we begin to see ourselves as better than others. There is an innate desire within all of us to be better, to be the best, to be noticed. It's human nature. And as leaders, we should always want to be better and to be the best at what we do. But my desire and ambition is not to be better than the person sitting across the table from me or at the church down the street from me, but my desire and ambition should be to become like Jesus in the way that I speak, in the way that I lead, in the way that I treat people. And if I do that, I can successfully guard against negative desires and an ambition that leads to a critical spirit. Number three, and we're going to shift a little bit from guarding to going on the offensive here. Number three, we must be leaders that lead with kindness. My pastor says that you cannot be dishonoring and still be right. So as leaders, do we lead with kindness or do we lead with attitude? Do we lead out of frustration? This question always seems to be so sobering for me. What is the shift that happens when you enter the room? And I know if I'm being honest, there's been times when I enter the room and the shift is not always positive. But Ephesians 4, 30 through 32 says this, that we must lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Jesus said that by this, they will know that you are my disciples. What did he say? That your love one for another will be the sign that we are following and chasing after him. We must lead with kindness. Number four, lead with pure motives. And we like to define motives in our culture as motives are the attitude of your heart. And there've all been seasons where we have done the right thing, but we've done it for the wrong reason. So are you leading with pure motives, not just doing the right thing, but doing them for the right reasons? And this is so important because motives don't just affect you or your leadership, but they affect your team and they affect the legacy that you leave behind. So if we want to overcome a critical spirit within us, within our team, we must lead with pure motives. Number five, last one is this, we must lead like a servant. The disciples in Luke chapter 22, they're arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus says in verse 26 that the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant's heart. A critical heart says, how can you benefit me or what can you do for me? But a servant's heart says, how can I serve you? How can I better you, protect you, encourage you, and help you become the person that God desires that you become? The heartbeat of this tribe is that we are leaders serving a vision bigger than ourselves. So as we overcome a critical spirit and we honor those above us, below us, and around us, let's continue to build the church together. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.
today's interview, we are honored to welcome Dave Samil. Dave is on the senior management team at Christ Fellowship Church in Palm Beach, Florida, where he also serves as the campus pastor. He and his wife, Rhonda, have been serving together on staff for 13 years. Brandon sits down with Dave to talk about leading second in every season. Let's jump into the conversation today. Well, Dave, welcome back to the Leading Second podcast. So glad to have you on today. Man, it is so good to be back with you, Brandon. Hey, love uh, to you and your family. Love your house. Uh, love Christ Fellowship so much. I remember getting to be there a couple years ago. What an incredibly special culture, pastors, and team you guys have there. Really, really great what God has done. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, living in South Florida is not bad either. So, yes, we have this incredible <laughs> place of, of worship. But, uh, you know, I live and work where most people take their summer vacations. And so that's phenomenal. But we truly are suffering for Jesus down here because my <laughs> wife and I, we we love the mountains. You and I were just talking earlier about mountains and snow caps and being in the great outdoors. But we love living in Florida. And what we love about Florida is Christ Fellowship. I mean, it is yeah. the reason why. Why we're here. This house is yeah. so special. Our senior pastors are amazing. Well, I was uh, just telling you that the joy of my life is to invite you to come be a part of our leading second camp event in March because we're in Utah in the mountains, and all I, all I want to see, like like my life will be complete if I see Dave on a pair of skis or on a snowboard in the mountains, a, a Southern Floridian in the snow. It, it, it just, it'd just be so much joy for me. That, that'd be, that'd be awesome. I have no core ability. I'm probably one of the least <laughs> athletic guests that has ever, you know, been on the leading second podcast. And so I will be fireside with a book. Uh, <laughs> you, you and I will rock the lodge together. I, I am, I'm totally fine with that, by the way. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I'm so glad you're here today and um glad to have a conversation with you this season has been all about from the second chair for the second chair. And what that means to me is we've had a lot of great guests on over the years, but we just wanted to bring onto the podcast, some of our nation's best and leading, you know, second chair leaders, leaders in the middle, uh, leaders that have gone the distance in the middle. And so thank you for adding your voice into the mix. And b before we get into our conversation today, I just want people to get to know you a bit. Uh, and so I have a couple of the, like, get to know you questions here, but I would love to know, um, cause I'm really interested in how people got their start in ministry. So I'd love to hear what was it like for you when you felt called into ministry? Man, I I'm probably, uh, one of the most unlikely guys to be in the seat I'm in today, by the way, uh, I got started in this whole thing. Uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, my mother was an incredible spiritual force in my life, but I was an absolute hellion as a child. So Brian, I was, I was kicked out of kindergarten, which is a story for another oh, no. podcast. Uh, I was also kicked out of 10th grade or Christian high school. And just, you know, I, I was just, trying to figure out my purpose in life and everything. And I remember um, God was doing something unique in the church I grew up in as a kid. We were actually experiencing these kind of uh, summer night revival services. And uh, this guy was coming in town. He was preaching revivals and started coming weekend after weekend. And uh, it was one of those services where um, he looked out at me and said, hey, I want to meet you after service. And we spent some time in a side room and he just kind of invited me in. 
And I say I'm unlikely because you don't understand. I, I had never been invited to anything. I, I was, wow. I was the last kid picked in dodgeball, the last kid picked in, you know, little league behind your house, playing baseball, whatever it was. But this guy, Jeff just called something out of me, um, to, uh, to really kind of support him. I was helping him build some illustrations for his sermons and doing different things, but it was for the wow. first time ever that I actually had some purpose and some identity and somebody calling something out of me and then also speaking something over me, you know, up, up into that point, I'd been called out for a lot of things. I'd been called out for the way I looked, called out for the way I acted, called out for the decisions I made, but this guy, he didn't call me out. He actually called me up, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And, uh, I can go back to that hallway conversation with Jeff some 30 years ago now, uh, not even 30, uh, but go back to that conversation and, and realize it was there that there was something stirring inside of me that God actually had a destiny for my life. God did have a purpose for my life. Wow. And so the local church and Jeff, man, that changed my life. And because it changed my life, I knew that I wanted to dedicate my life to building the church and helping the church do what it did for me. I want to call out the next generation, not just call them out, but call them up to what God had for them, what God has for them. And so that's kind of a little bit of where that kind of stirring came from. Of course, he spoke that over me. Some other people spoke that over me and just just started serving the church. And that's kind of where this whole thing started is just serving the church, building church from the time I was a teenager to today. That is incredible. That answer was worth the whole, the whole episode right there. That's absolutely beautiful. And now today you, you lead at what I consider to be one of our nation's leading churches. I love um, not only just your house, um, but I love that you have a heart for the the capital C church. You host a conference and your, your church puts resource into um, hosting regional leadership events. And so just, just really, really special, your, your heart for the kingdom. Uh, I'm, I'm answering the question I was going to ask you. The question I was going to ask you was, what do you love most about the house you serve in? Yeah. Uh, so Brandon, you, you've been here, you've met our senior pastors, Pastor Todd and Julie. They are some of the most genuine yeah. and unique uh, people that I've ever met. I, I've yes, served on three other uh, previous church staffs. So I was an intern for two years at one, four years at another, four years at another before coming here and just uh, coming to Christ Fellowship 13 years ago. I fell in love with this house. And, and to be to be honest with you, I actually fell in love with like uh, the physical house before I fell in love with the personal house. Let me explain what I mean by that. And so being on staff at smaller churches coming up to this point as, as a second chair leader leading in every season, you're doing everything. And so those, some of the right. smaller churches, man, I was, I was responsible for buildings and grounds, the maintenance, the facilities, <laughs> how things looked. And I remember coming here on an interview and looking at how well, landscaped the property was and how well the, the palm trees were trimmed and the hedges were trimmed. And I just looked at my wife and I said, Hey, if they care for the, the property this much, can you imagine how much more they care for the people? And wow. during our interview and during our first couple of years here, we saw that, that it's not about our buildings and our property. It's actually about our heart. And it's about the genuine love that this place has for people. And that starts with our, our senior pastors. They're so genuine. Um, but they've also just built a 
a unique culture here. And the one of the things that I love about our culture is just this culture of excellence. And so when I saw that excellence from the property uh, and the way things were cared for, I mean, it, it really did and does overflow into everything else that we do, just such a high standard of excellence. And that's something I can be proud of, something that I can attach myself to. And I'm so glad my wife and I, we did that some 13 years ago now. Incredible. Incredible. I love it. As a leader, what do you do first every morning? Like what's, what's your morning routine look like? This is going to be super spiritual, man. I turn the coffee maker on. Like that, <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, that's the first thing. I, it I, seems I, to be a popular answer, by the way. Oh, I, well, <laughs> we were given this coffee maker that it, it is the joy of the whole earth right here in this machine. <laughs> I mean, it's as if God himself has brewed the, the coffee in the morning. And so first thing I do, man, is turn that coffee on. Then we, we got a dog a couple months ago. And so that's the other thing you got to let, got to let the dog out. Uh, but I am a morning person. I, I don't understand night owls. Me either. Yes. I get up yes. before the rest of the house. That's my time with the Lord. Uh, my time to, to, to be with him. I, I do my best not even to check email or iPhone or anything like that, but really get my coffee, let the dog out and uh, spend some time with the Lord. I used to get up before everybody. I'm a morning person, but then we had a baby. A one year <laughs> so old. Now, yeah. So now, now I do not get up first. Now she's my alarm clock. Oh, I can understand. I'll, I'll, I'll reclaim that. I'll reclaim that at one point. It's coming. It'll be there. Soon. It's coming. Oh my gosh. Um, what is an influential book or podcast that has helped you in your leadership journey, other than the Bible, mind you? What would you recommend? Man, I, I love this question because I um, I'm a reader, and so I love reading. And I have read, you know, hundreds of books over the last couple of years, um, and I have just finished probably one of the best books I've read in a long time. It's a book called The Power of Place. It's uh, by a pastor at New Life Church. His name's Daniel Grothy, and Daniel, I think he's written one previous book. I've, I haven't read it. Maybe he's written a few others, but I got my hands on this book um, just because being planted in the house of the Lord. I mean, that's a key verse for us here at Christ Fellowship. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. Yeah. And, um, being planted is so important. And even, uh, Brandon, there's been some movement in my life. You know, I've been on staff at other churches and have been here for the last 13 years. But there is such significance of place. And we we live in a world where everybody, as Daniel talks about in his book, has wanderlust. And thinks about hey what's right. what's happening what's happening in Austin right now we got we got to go to Austin Austin has a good food truck scene and there's there's music there and so you know people up uproot their families and they move to Austin for three years and they're like wait we we need to go to the Pacific Northwest that's where we got to be and so everybody's mobile nobody's stable anymore and Daniel and his book sorry I'm passionate about it because I love the book and yeah it's great I, I've never done this before I've bought a case of books. Of this book, The Power of Place, and I've been handing it out to people on our team going, hey, you've got to read wow. this. You, I wish I would have read this book 20 years ago, um, but I've read it now. And, and, and in here, just one of the ideas of the book is you got to find your place, you got to find your people, and you got to buy your burial plots. And, and when you do, when you get that planted and that committed 
there's, there's health, there's health relationally. And, you know, um, he talks about in the book too, that oftentimes we are experienced rich, but we're relational, relationally poor. And what I want for our young staff is I want them to be, uh, I want them to be relationally rich. We want to give them all the experiences that they can get here at Christ fellowship too, but I want them to be relationally connected to, to this place. And we've kind of lost wow. some of that. I won't tell you the whole thing, the whole book, but if you read a book, you guys are listening power of place by Daniel Grothy. Great book. That's incredible. I need to read it. Uh, I'm, I'm tell you what, I'm, I'm going to have it ordered. You, a copy. Oh, you got a case. You got a case. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get you a copy, baby, right here. I got it. There it is. That's amazing. I'll send it to you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, today I was really excited to have a conversation with you. And where I want to take this conversation today, Dave, is I wanted to talk on leading second in every season. Leading second in every season. And I guess I just respect leaders like yourself that have gone the distance over time. You know, you, you've, your leadership journey has no doubt looked different in different seasons. Your role on the team is looked different over seasons. Of course, I want to reiterate a core value in our leading second tribe is that leading second is not a box on the org chart or a position or a title. Leading second is a spirit that you carry with you. Anyone in the organization can lead second. So just to make sure we always keep that front and center in our tribe, but, but no doubt for you, ministry and leading second has looked different in different seasons. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, you have a value at Christ fellowship and, and I've, I've heard it for years personally. I've adopted it as one of my own as well. This is why we, we think so much alike, but it says what I'm part of is bigger than the part I play, but the part I play matters. Will you just, first of all, like unpack what that means to you? Absolutely. That's one of our 10 leader values here at Christ fellowship. And so that gets in the water here all the time. What I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play. And then we always make sure we add that tagline on there, but the part I play matters. And so I I don't think I've met anybody that doesn't want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Like you want to be a part of something that's growing and making an impact, especially in the kingdom of God, right? We want to know that we're, we're making a difference, but to attach ourselves, that's something bigger than ourselves. I mean, that we, we need to understand that it's, it's a team uh, that we need people around us to fulfill their role, to fulfill exactly what they've uniquely been called to do, just as we have been called to fulfill something uniquely for the season that we find ourselves in. And so, you know, yes, I've been on staff at Christ Worship for 13 years, but I've had seven different roles uh, in our organization and in our church family. And so in each one of those roles and shifting, um, I, I, I've had to, just kind of go, okay, what I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play, but there's a part that I need to play that's going to help the whole. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about that imagery in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about a body and the hand. Uh, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Like this, right. this whole thing working together in unity. And I think that when church staff teams at times compete and compare with one another, they miss the mm. opportunity to fully complement one another and what we need to do. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can right. sing. Not everybody can be the vision creator. Uh, not everybody can do everything. But if we all do our one thing, 
that we've been called to do with uh, a heavy sense of God's calling on our life and what he's, what he's asked us to do and fulfill, man, I just think the body of Christ is going to be healthier, but we've got to get our eyes off our position alone. Sometimes we get hyper-focused just on what we've been called to do, pull back a little bit, get a, get a 30,000 foot perspective on the whole of what God has called us to do. And I think it gives us confidence to be able to step into those unique things that he's asked us to do and do those with, with confidence. Absolutely. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail here for a minute, but one of the, one of the things God really brought into my life at the beginning of the year here was a book and, and sent me, I guess, on a study journey into the book of revelation and it it's it's the closest picture we have of resurrected Jesus today. It's the closest picture we have of what he considers to be faithful in his church today. You know, it's 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 rather than like a book of coming events, it's this picture of Christ reigning as king today. And it's like and the reason I'm bringing that up is is when I started I guess a new study on that book and understanding it, it's like the lens pulled back for me and I saw the bigness of what we were a part of. And it just made my momentary worries like kind of go away. Like, yeah. Okay. Jesus is on the throne. This book is written, literally written to a, a, an early church who was persecuted and suffering, you know, like when you really, when you really pull it back, you just, you can go, okay, I can safely, I can safely, um, be a part of the bigness of the kingdom and the bigness of my church. Like I can do that with safety and God is so well able to take care of me and my family and get us where he wants us. So I just love that sentiment. And I think that sentiment has to live in the heart of a leader. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you're going to last the seasons, you have to have, have trust in the big plan of God for your life and his big, his plan for his kingdom and know that he reigns as king over it. Absolutely. 100%. And I, I, I just attach myself to some of the thoughts you just shared there around this idea of suffering, you know, suffering in, in leadership is, is necessary. Like this is what we are called to do to deny I know it. to pick up our cross. And, and I think sometimes we, we want to avoid suffering at all costs. Um, but the apostle Paul calls us to it. Jesus himself calls us to it. And um, I I think getting that picture and that perspective around just knowing that in this world, we will have trouble, but we could take heart, Brandon. I could do the whole session just on the role of suffering in leadership because it's just misunderstood. Um, Let's not even get started because I could go there. And it doesn't mean that God's not blessing you and God's not growing right. you, but you are actually going to be stronger. You're going to be better. You're going to have more empathy, more sympathy. Like I think about some of the times of suffering that I've walked through personally, whether it's in leadership or in loss, um, what I've learned in those seasons. So a number of years ago, my dad was dying. He was on his deathbed and uh, my family lived in New York. We, we, you know, we lived down here in Florida. And so I remember being in my father's deathbed and I remember people coming in and the words that they were speaking over my father. And then a pastor came in. I mean, we're suffering our fit. My dad died at 67, way too young. Mm. And my, my father's pastor comes to his bedside and just speaks these beautiful words over my father. And in the midst of our suffering, the words of comfort that were spoken over it, man, I was a better pastor 
yep. coming out of that because of the suffering I experienced while my family through, but also because there was a pastor who came in with strength and obviously yep. spiritual maturity and all of that, but so much to learn that makes us better leaders and better, better pastors through suffering. Absolutely. And Jesus will be faithful to use a variety of seasons. We were talking about, about yeah. leading second in every season and being faithful in every season. Like he will use a variety of seasons in our lives to shape us, to mold us. We just like the good ones, you know, uh, we like the, we like the full circle ones. We like the blessing ones, but let's just be honest. Like, like if, if you're going to, if your life's going to play a symphony, you're going to need a whole bunch of different notes and a whole bunch of different instruments in there. And they're all going to have a different fiber and a different fabric. And it's like, that's how life will feel is you're going to have the, the, the tougher moments that are playing just as much a part of the song as the moments you like God's faithful in it. Amen. And I can't get out of my mind's eye what you're talking about in seasons. Like, man, everybody loves summer and spring is <laughs> incredible. Right. And then all, all the girls get their boots out in the fall and everybody loves the fall, but fall means death is coming and winter yeah, is coming. It's true. And we, we live in those seasons and we need winter to get to summer. It's well said, especially from someone in Florida. Amen. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to ask you about another phrase that you and I share uh, a common love for, and that is the phrase um, that as second chair leaders, we need to hold our calling tightly, uh, but our position loosely or our position with an open hand. And I want you to talk to us about that. Like, what does that phrase mean to you? Hold your calling tight, but your position with an open hand. Yeah, I think we've heard that from various leaders in various places there. But when I when I think about calling, and I know you've had some conversations around calling, like at the end of the day, if you're not called to do this, you're not going to last, no matter mm. what chair you're in, you know, yeah. first chair, second chair, third chair, whatever wow. it is, just that deep sense of calling and burden and spiritual weight that God right. has put you uh put on you for, for ministry. And I think, uh, I think unfortunately the way um, some churches are moving or the way the church could be moving is that we are creating ministry leaders that are career seekers that are more concerned about their career. So when we talk about holding your calling tightly, man, I, I want to make sure that this isn't about a position. This isn't about climbing a ladder and getting to the next place. Now, if you looked at my leadership resume over the years, I've been a children's pastor. I've been a student pastor. Uh, I, I've been an adult ministries pastor. I've You could say, oh man, he's stepping stones, climbing the ladder, but I really haven't done that in, in all of this brand. And I, I've just said, man, I'm called to the local church, called to build it. And so I want to hold that calling tightly because Man, when the suffering comes, when the trials right. come, when the when the struggle comes, it's the calling that sees us through, not necessarily our position and title. And then when you're in ministry for any length of time, you know that positions change. And I think I've met some people who have been longtime people in their roles, maybe 15, 20 years. But without a doubt, their position, even when that role, their title might not have changed, but the way they're leading, how they're doing, that's there's always going to be a shift in the position. And so um, I, I, I really believe that the key here is making sure that there is a spiritual burden and weight and understanding of the call of God on our life is not always tied to our assignment. 
that assignments can change, but calling remains. And when the calling remains, when your first chair leader comes and says, hey, I need you to step outside of this and do this, that it doesn't necessarily change your calling. Your assignment may change, but your calling is maybe to that house, to that place, uh, to where God has you. And so that's what I think about when I when I think about that statement. So good. And I think what I'd like to do for a minute is I'd like to take us to scripture. I'd like to take us to the story of Joseph. And um, I know you've taught on this. I've got a hold of some of the teaching you've done on this. I wanted to kind of set you loose for a minute because Joseph, it's very interesting when you look at his life, first of all, marked by various seasons and kind of what we're talking about here. Joseph was also never a number one. He's one of my favorite people in all of scripture because he never led in the first seat. And you look at how he stewarded a nation. Like, what do you draw out of Joseph? Like, like, like why does, why does that story speak to you as a leader in the second chair? Yeah. I, well, when we talk about leading from the second chair, we talk about to you that it's, it's not a, it's not a skill, right? It is a spirit. And I think Joseph uniquely carried a spirit of leading from the second chair. And that spirit is evident when you read, when you read the story of Joseph, which we know that the majority of our listeners today, they know this story. They know the last third of Genesis from Genesis chapter 37, all the way to the end is this beautiful story of Joseph's life. 17 year old boy gets this vision, shares it with his brothers, which, you know, he has no emotional intelligence when he shares his brothers, (laughs) uh, this vision, but he's almost like leading second in his family because he's his dad's favorite son. Right. So it's dad and Joseph, but Joseph gets thrown in that that pit. He gets sold. He gets uh, brought up in Potiphar's house. And it's really the first opportunity that we see Joseph lead in such a way that Potiphar recognizes something on Joseph. And when you read Genesis 39, actually four times in Genesis chapter 39, it says that the Lord was with Joseph Hmm. and the Lord was with Joseph. And it, it, it was so evident that the Lord was with him. Potiphar saw it. And the warden saw it as as he went from the the palace uh, back to the prison. He he actually still carried that spirit with him. And so what does that mean? That means that in the season of where everything was going well, the season of summer and spring of Potiphar's house, the Lord was with him. And in the the season of fall and winter in the prison, the Lord was with him because of the way he he lived his life, attacked his disciplines. But there was something about Joseph that he led with such a spirit. And it was evident that he was called, evident that God's hand was on him. And then when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, it's the same thing. Pharaoh recognizes that the hand of God is on him. And so I think it tells us a lot about the character of Joseph. And in order to lead from the second chair in every season with confidence, we've got to have character and we've got to have a a secure understanding of our calling for what God has called us to. And I see that in Joseph's life. So when I look at Joseph, I look at, man, there is a model for us. And now we know that Jesus is the better Joseph. We know like, like that's all. Yeah, true. But what we can learn from Joseph is that even no matter what season we're in, no matter what God has called us to, if his hand is on us, if he is with us, man, we can do exactly what he has called us to do in that season. That's right. 
That's right. And be found faithful and, and that God uses every season. Um, cer- certainly his, his faithfulness in the prison, you know, brought him into the palace and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. And it's a heart I, of a servant. You, you, you see that in Joseph. So like yep. at the core of who he is, he is a servant. That's right. Jesus, Jesus said, Hey, I didn't come to, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And like, it's, it's a beautiful picture for us. You pulled three specific pictures out of Joseph's life that, that would kind of like, you know, if we want to kind of land this a little bit more practically today, like how does this practically look like in our lives and, and maybe some roles, regardless of the season we will play in the second chair. Could you draw those out for us today? Cause I thought this was really, really good. Yeah. I'll try to do that kind of quickly. Just like three ideas I see of a servant oriented second chair leader that from every season. And I, I see this, uh, in, in the life of, of Joseph and the, and the first kind of posture and, and characteristic trait here is that of a translator, uh, like a second chair leader has to be a translator. And what I mean by that is if you've ever spoken uh, overseas or in another country where uh, the audience that you're speaking to speaks to another language, speaks another language, you need a translator. You need someone to take what God has given you and communicate it in a way that they're going to understand it. They're going to hear it. And Joseph had dreams that needed to be translated. Joseph had positions that he knew that he was asked to fulfill uh, this, uh, this plan for seven years of harvest and seven years of famine. And so he had to translate that out to those in the kingdom to make sure that he was going to be able to do that. And you need a translator to, you need to be a, an effective translator to right. communicate effectively. And our senior pastors, our, our first chair leaders are looking at us and, and they're they're asking themselves this question is, can this person be a translator for me? Can they translate so good. the vision from our staff meeting, the vision from our one-on-one, can they carry it out? And what I want to encourage our audience with today is like, you are trusted. Translators are trusted. And effective translators, man, they, they hear the vision they internalize the vision and they share that vision with the same intensity and the same passion. Remember I had an opportunity once to speak in Africa and uh, French was the dominant language there. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, bonjour and bonsoir. I could say good morning and good night. That's it. And so I needed a translator and I remember preaching that day. And what was so incredible is the, the translator, he wanted my notes beforehand. He wanted to get that in his spirit. When we got up to speak, wow. Uh, I I'm a passionate speaker. If you can't tell and he carried that passion with him. Translators can make all the difference in a church. They can make all the difference in a setting like that. And as second chair leaders, we've got to be translators. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes as translators too, it's not just about what we translate down from our first chair. It's also about what we translate up. And so one of the things we ask all of our campus pastors to do here is we say, Hey guys, you need to filter the fuss and monitor the moan. And what we mean by filter the fuss is that not everything needs to rise to the top of our senior pastors, their plate and what they're working on. That's why they've got us in this position because translators are trusted. We can filter that fuss and we can monitor the moan. And what I mean by that is we seek out trends, you know, what we're hearing. If one person complains about something that's shared on the platform on the weekend, that's not a trend. But when we get 
right. three, four different comments. That might be something I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to raise that up as a translator because that translator works both ways. And as second chair leaders who are leading departments or leading campuses, whatever it might be, there's ways right. that you have to translate out and down, but there's also ways you need to translate up uh, to your first chair leader as well. And so I see that in the life of Joseph. All right. So the second thing I see with Joseph uh, in his life is that he is a dot connector. And this whole dot mm. connector language is really important to our staff here because um, there's a pace in which we move in which we do ministry. And not every detail is always is is always known and evident. And so right. there's there's usually a gap between point A and point B. And you know, when you were a kid, you used to play that game called Connect the Dots. I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but Connect the Dots is on the rise again. And it's on oh the rise God. with an interesting group of people. So adults are doing these massive connect the dot things. And now you're starting, and as a kid, you remember doing it, you would start to see the image. And as second chair leaders, we have to be dot connectors for the teams that we're leading, the people we're leading, because they can't always see the distance between point A and point B. And whenever there is that distance between two, two points, there's a gap. And oftentimes that gap can be filled with different things. And at Christ Fellowship, we talk about minding the gap. How do we mind the gap? We need to mm. fill that gap with trust. And then we need to be dot connectors, helping people see the big picture. And the way we do that is we make sure that People aren't hyper-focused just on where they are or where they need to be, but, Beautiful. but how to get there. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's key. We see that in the life of Joseph. And then the third thing, this last thing, probably what I'm, I'm, I'm most passionate about. And uh, I think to be a second chair leader in every season. And this is, again, what I think is most important is that we need to know our role as curators. And I know that's mm. not a normal word that we throw around very much anymore, but a curator is someone in, in a museum who takes works of art and they put them on display. And when they're expensive works of art, they actually put them on display and then they protect them. And then wow. when they're like valuable and prized works of art, they're not only protected and put on display, they go on tour. And there's actually people who carry these pieces of art with them. And I, I I love this because I think our role as second chair leaders is we are people who are curators of the culture. Like we're not called to create culture. We're called to curate it. We're called to carry it. We're called to display it. We're called to protect the culture. And I, I think that it, it might be hard to see this in the life of Joseph. Really, how does Joseph like protect the culture? There's one thing that we don't read in Joseph's story. Joseph never says, Potiphar said, he never mm. said, hey, the warden said, I'm in charge of this. And, wow. and, and he never said, Pharaoh said, this is what I'm going to, now I'm, I'm, I'm reading into the text, right? Possibly here, but here's, here's a nerve with me, with leaders at times. We leverage other people's authority and positions to fulfill the task that God has given to us. Say that, and we're yeah. going to lead in the second chair in every season. We've got to find our voice. We've got to find our authority and we don't leverage our authority in our position. But because of that, we protect the culture of our house. And so we started this conversation with that cultural value of what I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play, but the part I play matters. And it's a huge piece of our culture. And you know this, you have culture by design or default. And I, I, I love this idea that as, as pastors, as ministry leaders, as staff members in a church, the culture of our house is defined by us, is designed by us, 
and it's displayed by us. And if we could be curators of the culture, here's the deal. Our senior leaders, our senior pastors, pastors Todd and Julie of this house, they are the vision creators. I'm the vision carrier. That's what I do. They set the culture. They determine the culture, but I get to carry it. I get to display it. I get to protect it. This is a beautiful role that we have as second chair leaders. And man, I want to encourage everybody who's leading today to ask themselves this question, because I think this helps to, to know what to curate, to, to what to carry, to what to protect, what to display. How do, how do we figure that out? You've got to ask yourself, what's most important to your first chair leader right now in this season? And for us, I'll be honest with you, that's an ever-changing target at Christ Fellowship. What's most important to pastors Todd and Julie right now today is what's coming up in the coming days. We've got an evangelism training. We're trying to help our people share their faith. That's what's most important to us in this season. Easter's around the corner. We're all working towards that, and that's a moving target. But as second chair leaders, we've got to know what's most important to our first chair leader. For Joseph, he had this vision as a 17-year-old boy that his brothers were one day going to bow down to him. But he found himself serving Pharaoh's vision because what was most important to Pharaoh was to get ready for those seven years of famine. And while, listen listen to this, while Joseph was fulfilling Pharaoh's dream, God fulfilled Joseph's dream. Yeah, yeah. This is why I think he's a leader to look at and go, man, if we could do just a little bit of what Joseph did and then the Lord's hand is on us, man, we can be translators for our senior leaders we can be dot connectors for them and we can be curators of the culture. I think we're an answer to their prayers. Phenomenal, phenomenal perspective. I, I, I love every bit of it. Thank you so much. And I'll tell you to put a little cherry on the top. I think my favorite moment of the whole Joseph story is at the very, very end, his brothers are standing in front of him. His family's there. The very people who sold him into slavery And he is so healthy and he is so whole that he is able to look at them without bitterness in his heart. And he's able to say, it was not you who sent me here. It was God. He sent me before you, ahead of you, you know, for the saving of many lives. Like think of the work that God had to do in Joseph's life to get him to that place. He was doing it in prison. He was doing it in the palace. He was doing it at the moment where the first brother walked in, you know, to his presence. I mean, it, it, and I, I guess that's maybe been one of the biggest catalysts of my life. Just looking back over seasons of God, let me arrive at the moments that matter so healthy and so whole that I stand, that I stand before you and can serve you with purity of heart anyone that wronged me along the way or anyone that bugged me or whatever, like, like just be Lord of that. And I just think God's faithful in that space. I love that. That's so, so beautiful, Brandon. And, and Joseph wouldn't have been ready. I don't think any earlier. Yeah. And I think sometimes we think we're ready and we're not. (laughs) That's true. It's true. Well said, my friend, you, you are one of my friends who, I, we just, you, you talk more like, I think probably more than, you know, so I, 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 I love meeting someone who has a like spirit and I appreciate your voice on the episode today. I'm going to ask you one more question. We got to land the plane soon, but I want to talk 
to, I, I always kind of think at the end of an episode, like who's still listening. I imagine several people have probably like stopped listening by now. So it's like, it, it's like if you're at this moment, this conversation mattered for you today. And, and I'll tell you who the person I'm thinking about right now is the person that one that still feels like they have seasons ahead of them. So the person that is navigating aspirations or ambition, even godly ambition, but for the future, maybe they'll serve in the lead seat someday, or maybe they feel like there's more ahead. We're talking about leading second in every season. And for the person that's managing, you know, godly ambition and aspiration for the future, just like 60 seconds, what would you speak directly into that person's heart if they're listening right now? Don't be so focused on what's next that you miss what God has now. Mm. And where you are now is where God wants you to be. He wants you to be where he wants you to be more than you want right. to be where you want right. to be. Right. And so if you can focus on now and if you can be faithful here, um, I believe that God is preparing in you and stirring in you and working in you for the fruitfulness of what is in your future. And so for whatever reason, that stirring is there. And we all have stirrings, Brandon. Like I've got ambitions, you know, maybe one day, one day I'll step into a first chair role, but yeah. uh, I'm, I've been called to this house. I've been called to this place. And I think there's something about being so faithful to where you are. And then I'll just, I'll leave with this. This has kind of been sitting on us since we had our church conference together uh, one of the conference session speakers, his name is Lance Witt. He just challenged us to Paul's cry in First Thessalonians chapter four that that we would have an ambition to lead a quiet life, that we would attend to our own our own work that God has for us. So that why? So that we could behave properly towards outsiders, and we could have everything that we need. So if that was Beautiful. our ambition, I think it'd be key. Beautiful. Beautiful. Dave, I've loved talking today. Thanks so much for adding your voice into the mix uh, this season. Love you. Love your house. Say hello to anyone I know over there. Uh, and God bless you guys. Brandon, love you. Love the Leading Second Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. For more information, check out leadingsecond.com. Follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond.com. And join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook.